Now, in a moment, I'm going to be interested in hearing from you. If you have been a part of the Churches of Christ um, for all your life or for your, all your involvement in church, if it's only ever been with the Churches of Christ, or if you previously attended uh, a church from another denomination before you became a part of Northern. And just briefly, what was it about Northern that was the reason why you started uh, being a part of this church family? So, have you always been a part of Churches of Christ? If not, what other denomination were you a part of? And what attracted you to being a part of Northern? So, hang on to that. Do you know that as of the 21st of November 2018, there are 147 different recognised denominations in Australia? Along with the familiar that you can imagine, Churches of Christ, Baptist, Catholic, Anglican, there are some that caught my eye as I was reading through the list, like the New Church in Australia, which started with the seeds of it started about 200 years ago. So I'm not sure how new it is, if it's 200 years old, but we'll leave that to one side. There's the Presbyterian Church in Australia, the Presbyterian Church of Eastern Australia, the Presbyterian Reformed Church, not to be confused with the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Australia. And if you think that as Christians we should be more united, then there are a few different denominations that you can unite with. There's the United Aborigines Mission, the United Church of God, Australia, the United Pentecostal Church of Australia, and the Uniting Church of Australia. These are just some of the 147 different denominations that are recognised in Australia, each with, at times, a multitude of churches and people who attend them. So I'm interested, out of all this raft of different churches, for you, if you've only ever been a part of the Churches of Christ, then let us know, or if you were previously attended a different church, what that might have been, and why have you settled at Northern? So I'll grab the microphone, uh, and we'll race around. So just pop up your hand if you'd like to contribute to the conversation a little bit about whether you've always been a part of... Yep, Roger, thank you. I'll contribute, David. Thank I, you. I grew up in the Presbyterian... was uh, Sunday School, Presbyterian Church Righty, eh? in Geelong. Okay. Um, I drifted away from the church as a teenager and uni student. When I became a Christian as an adult, I was part of the Uniting Church in, in Melbourne, in Murrumbina. Yep. And after I met Rhonda and we got married, I became part of Church of Christ's West Preston. There you go. So that's how it happened. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that. Others? Yep, Victor? My family, um, is the, we go up with um, American Baptist Christian. Yep. Yeah, and so I grew up in American Baptist Christian. Um, and one year, I stayed with uh, my brother, who is uh, doing leadership training with the Pentecost Church. Mm-hmm. So I joined with that church for one year. Then I, after I finished year 12 high school, I went to... Um, Presbyterian Bible College. Yeah. Four years. In the same time, I'm doing leadership training with the um, Anglican Church in Bangkok. Okay, so Presbyterian yeah. Anglican at one time. Yep. Yeah, okay. at the same time. <clears throat> when I finished um, Bible College, I came to Australia to work uh, with the um, Anglican Church as a young family minister. 
one year in in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Then I go back to Thailand, two years work with Full Gospel Church. Then um, after that, come to Australia. Yep. <laughs> then now who am with? Yeah. yeah. So, and now with Northern, Northern. And <laughs> Church of Christ. Yep. <laughs> Hi, I'm Teresa. Um, I became a born-again Christian when, um, when I was 27. That's 1998. Um, and I did some theological studies. I did four units of a Master of Divinity. And I worked as a teacher for 20 years. Um, so that's just some extra studies I did mm-hmm. as part of my faith journey. And my I grew up as a Catholic... So my born-again Christian experience happened in someone's home. Um, And ever since then, I've written books about God and Jesus and teaching and all different sorts of public work. Um, And I come to this church because I live in this area, just um, 10, 15 minutes up the road. So it's convenient for me and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So come to this church because of the location and some of the things that we do. Anyone else that wants to contribute? Yep, thanks, Joe. My name's Joe. Uh, started off living with my uh, grandparents and they were... Uh, my grandmother was a very staunch Catholic, so attended the Catholic Church for a few years and then uh, when I was age nine, I got to live with my stepmother and father and they were nominal Church of England. And um, when we got married, we were a uniting church. What else? <laughs> <laughs> I rambled around the world with different different denominations here and there. But uh, finally, when we lived at the Bandera village, uh, ministers came there were from Northern mm-hmm. Church of Christ. And so in 2004, I joined Church of Christ. Wonderful. So here we are. Yeah, there we go. Got time for one more. Okay. Oh, we'll sneak in the next one. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you, David. Um, I grew up in Churches of Christ. Uh, it started a long time ago in my family. My grandmother, who was German, um, was Lutheran and my grandfather on my mother's side was Catholic. And my grandmother was had her children, which included my mother, in the Edinburgh Gardens and a man approached and said, would you like to send your children to the Sunday school in the church opposite, which was in St George's Road, Church of Christ, and uh, you were also to come to church. And that started my my association through my grandmother and through my mother and uh, right through the family. I was baptised at 11. The minister was John Turner and the man that approached my grandmother was uh, John W. Baker, a famous church minister of Churches of Christ. Um, I also moved to West Preston because I would like, I wanted a, a Sunday school for Adam, yep. who was then four, and so I moved to West Preston with Jeanette. Jeanette was Anglican, 
I did the choir there and uh, Sunday school teacher, which gave two ticks from my mother. From my <laughs> mother. And uh, uh, we started to go to West Preston and uh, for a couple of years I also attended it in the evening uh, an assembly of God, the Richmond Temple in Richmond and enjoyed their service in the e evening and also home church. So I've had a, a reasonably long association uh, with Churches of Christ. Yep. Wonderful. Thank you, John. I think that is just one down. Thank you. Hi, I am uh, Kirti from India. Uh, yeah. uh, I heard about the interesting things uh, some time back. I was born in a small town in India, which is called Sholapur, and it's famous for its cotton mills and uh, cotton blankets and clay bedsheets, etc. Mm -hmm. um, my family background, my grandmother was from northern India, and she moved to the, the place where I was born during a big famine, and uh, she, as a child with her uh, other siblings, she came, and then... Uh, there were Christian American missionaries. They brought them up and uh, uh, they also gave them education. And there my grandmother became a midwife, uh, the first uh, trained midwife in that town. Wow. And then she met my grandfather who was a strong Hindu person. And they married. That was the time it was a big uh, step. It's like yeah. a rebellion. So the whole town of my grandfather planned to kill him. So the missionaries protected them. And then my father and uh, they were born and brought up there. And uh, I became a doctor and uh, my church is the first church in that town. Wow. Uh, that was founded by the American missionaries. Mm. And then I was the first doctor of the church. And then I moved to a bigger town, and there I was a Methodist. Yep. Uh, I was going to Methodist church. And then from that town, I came to Samoa. Samoa is a small uh, tropical island mm. in the South Pacific region. And there I'm going to the church, uh, which is called as Apia Protestant Church. And uh, it's a beautiful church. Congregation yep. is very lovely. And Samoa is a beautiful country, people are friendly and all. And now here I am, and uh, very soon I'll be starting uh, my work as a doctor here in Australia. And I came here because uh, I live close by and I was looking for a church. Yep. But when I came here, I liked the, you know, the way you people uh, welcome and right. um, the love of Christ which is reflected through all of you. So I came again. Fantastic. Thank you. And it's great to see you again. Well, thanks so much for contributing to that. And it's interesting to see the diversity of uh, different experiences and where people have come from in their faith journey and how they've connected with uh, different churches along the way. While those in Catholic and Orthodox churches tend not to switch denominations as much as those uh, that we would commonly refer to as Protestant, there tends to be in Protestant churches a lot more flexibility about what denomination you might uh, attend because it's about what sort of kids' ministry or how close it is to where you live, those sorts of things. However, this movement in and out and the transient nature causes challenges for some people 
when we hold particular views, especially when those views define who are in with me and who are out with them. I recall going to one church where I was pastoring and a member of the congregation regularly was telling me over several months that for me to be in with him, I had to preach from the King James Version, but not just any King James Version. It had to be the King James Version that had the dates in the the margins because those dates were inspired by God just as much as the text in the verses as well. Over the years, I've also seen churches where they've advertised for pastors and they've stated in the ad that the pastor has to, the applicant has to hold a, um, solely to a particular belief, such as the end times and when Jesus starts to wrap that up, how that's going to be. And if you don't hold to that view that they have, then you need not apply. For Northern and for churches of Christ, we journey on common ground around a confession, um, a journey around confessions and statements of faith but there can be at times confusions or assumptions about what this means for us and where we stand with some of these confessions of faith or statements of belief. In our early history as Churches of Christ, concerns were expressed about the creeds and statements of belief which were used as a measure of who is in with me and who is out with them. And as a result of that, that brought some challenges and there was a, uh, and was, and there continues to be a desire in many churches to create an identity based on a common set of agreed to beliefs. If you want to join in with us, they will promote, then you must agree with these things first. Now, there are some strengths to that, because then you're, you're saying, hey, listen, you've got to agree, and then everyone in the room agrees and they're on the same page. But there are also some challenges with that position. For the common ground of churches of Christ, our approach is to uh, view, has been to view doctrinal tests with concern because the potential for it to add things to the requirements of salvation that are not found in the Bible. There is a concern that we could reject people from our community from standing on common ground with us in the way that is inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus. You may have heard it said in Churches of Christ, the slogan, no creed but Christ. But where does it come from? And and what does and doesn't that mean in our journey together as we journey as a faith and hopefully a faithful community of followers of Jesus? No creed but Christ comes from the belief in Matthew 16 that sets out the foundations, the essence of what is needed to stand on the common ground of being a follower of Jesus. Matthew 16 verses 13 to 19 says this, When Jesus came to, what the, to, came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah and some others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, 
because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. We may take some time later to look at um, the Jewish understanding, the Jewish people's expectations of what it means to be Messiah and what they were in Jesus' day. But for now, the Christ creed is seen in Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The statement that Peter made was to recognize that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the anointed one who is set apart by God to deal with sin, to restore us from our broken relationship with God to a a restored relationship with God, with Jesus, the Son of God, as the center of that. He is the Son of the living, true God. This is the rock. This is the rock that Jesus builds his church upon this statement that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Not a person, but a statement, a recognition. Jesus responded to this statement of accepting Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which is always and will continue to be the rock, the foundation of which forgiveness is received, repentance and entry into the body of Christ, the church, and how we come to be a part of this faith community. This is our common ground. In the years that followed Peter's confession, confession, others came along and thought that, well, this statement leaves a lot to be desired. We need to add to it. We, need to, we think it's a little bit weak, a little bit wishy-washy. We need to have some more concrete evidence of someone being a follower of Jesus and that they're in with us. And the reading that Amy read earlier talks about how Christians in Jerusalem got together to deal with the extra stuff that was being laid on. You see, there were some followers that would follow after the first disciples, telling Christians that to, to believe in Jesus as the Messiah wasn't sufficient. To believe in Him as the Son of the living God wasn't enough. But wait, there's more. You need to be circumcised to be saved, to be one of us, to be a Christian. The Jerusalem Council response to these additional salvation requirements we read about or was read about in Acts 15 and we read about this letter to these new Christians for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements you must abstain from eating food offered to idols from consuming blood or meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality if you do this you will do well farewell in understanding this context this was not about salvation these were not added aspects that you had to do to be saved but this was about your witness to salvation lifestyle choices that would change as a result of you being a follower of Jesus to make a difference in the world that God had placed you in in a freedom from being a slave to your past and for the hearer those that received that message in Acts 15 would discover that when they heard what was being read there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message rather than all these layers and burdens being placed on them that it was true 
that they needed to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It reaffirmed to the hearer that salvation was based, wasn't based on circumcision, but based on Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. If there is any remaining doubt as to what was most important, what is most important, what is essential to being saved and being a follower of Jesus, Paul, when he later writes to the church at Corinth, spells it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 5, we read this, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. Returning to these essentials enables us to travel well on this common ground of belief in Jesus as the Christ. But it also helps us to travel well with others who share in this same belief. This essential belief has also been the appropriate um, or has an appropriate role in echoing to us today. Paul basically calling us back to what is most important. It's not to say that other things are not important, but it's to focus on the fact that our unity is on this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, while celebrating our diversity, whether it be the range of different churches that are registered in Australia or the range of different churches of Christ that are either in Australia or around the globe, as we heard about today. Baptism is not an essential. Communion is not an essential. Singing this song or that song is not an essential. Gathering on a Sunday is not an essential. Nor sitting in rows or praying with our eyes closed. These things can be helpful. They can be important. They can even be acts of obedience. But they are not the most important thing. And we do well to remind ourselves that when we want things our way on Sunday, we should pause and ask, is this to help others come to know Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, or is this to help me to feel more comfortable? What is most important? As Sterling writes, Churches of Christ came into existence because of a dissatisfaction with the formalism of churchliness and a, uh, a religion of dreary rules and regulations designed to bind the faithful. When they looked back behind all of this to the New Testament, they saw a lifestyle that was joyous, that was powerful, that was world-shaking. Churches of Christ believe that we are not saved by rituals or creeds or ceremonies, forms or by belonging to a particular denomination, but by the liberating power of the living Christ. But we are careful and we need to be careful 
about this common ground that is captured by the slogan, no creed but Christ, and what it is not saying. It is not saying that we don't acknowledge or we can't find a range of beliefs that um, we present today. It was interesting that when I spent some time looking at the Churches of Christ websites for all the different churches in Victoria and Tasmania, that I counted up 40% of those churches that had um, a website also had some form of statement of beliefs or a presentation of their teachings in a range of different areas about Bible, about Jesus, about sin, about salvation. Being true to the central message of Jesus and our belief in Him as Christ, the Son of the living God, does not mean that we don't hold to other teachings of Scripture. That was never the intent of those words that went before us or those people that went before us. We, along with other churches of Christ and other Christian churches, use statements of faith or statements of belief and themes to guide us in what we teach. Once again, Sterling writes, the Bible gives a clear lead in matters of doctrine and life. Christians should follow it. But when there is no clear lead, we should use our own sanctified judgment of the matter and not to try and impose that judgment upon anyone else. For Sterling, this means that Christians submit themselves totally to Jesus' authority, to his authority, accepting and living his lifestyle, letting him empower them to live and take serious, taking seriously in their lives and churches what is revealed about him in the New Testament. We continue our heritage of being people of the book, the Bible, for, uh, people who follow the teachings of Scripture. And our understanding is that the New Testament, which builds on the Old Testament, um, gives us the best guidance on how to be the body of Christ, united and diverse, how to live lives as followers of Jesus. It will continue to challenge us. And so it should challenge us. And the traditions that we start to layer over the Scriptures and make them harder to see. And we do well to always pause and ask ourselves the question, but what does the Bible say? And especially our understanding of the New Testament. What does it have to say to us about whatever we're wanting to look at? So at Northern, and as a part of the Churches of Christ, we continue in our journey on this common ground, no creed but Christ. And we continue to teach the truths of the New Testament. This may involve times when we use statements of faith or statements of belief, statements to help us in our teaching. But they are never to be used as a test of who is in and who is out. But to think, think that this doesn't cause challenges for us, we would be pretty naive in that. Because it does and it will continue to pose some challenge, challenges for us as a church. And we're going to take some time next week to look at some of those challenges and how we might respond to those. But for us today, as we respond to what we've heard, whether it be in the um, interview with Lorraine, whether it be in other aspects of the service, 
I wonder, have I been relying on the traditions, the rituals, the ceremonies, or am I fully trusting in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, for my salvation? When you think about your life, what are you relying on? Is it the things that you do or the relationship that you have with Jesus? When you consider those journeying on this common ground, have there been additional things that I've held as equally important as accepting Jesus as the Christ in my acceptance of others as Christian brothers and sisters? And do I regularly read the Bible and take what is revealed about Jesus seriously in applying it to my life. There's some things for us to think about, to ponder on and to reflect on. And you might want to choose one of those things to write a prayerful response to Jesus about as we take some time to pause and reflect. Those cards, as I said, will be collected during the singing of our final song, as will be our offering and our pencils as well. God bless you.